It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host at NFL on Twitter. And of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And it's another draft special. And this one's a bit of a fun one, really, to be honest, because it's uh, I know I have special teams in the title, lads, but this is going to be like a two second uh, conversation. But you know what? I'm always excited for this episode. And I want to talk about Rogers uh, and I'm going to blindside you with a bit of audio to get your instant live reaction to it. But aside from that, uh, this is one of my favorite ones because you two lads specialize somehow and i don't know how the hell you do it of um well peter you know every player that's ever played ever right that's evident from your 307 page uh, draft guide authored by you work of art but uh what you're also very good at is digging down into those sort of sleeper picks someone to look out for stuff that goes on in the lower rounds because i think we all know that su- the success of a team um, usually isn't on the first and second round picks and all that sort of jazz. It's lower down uh, the draft and we've seen the likes of Donald Drivers and we've seen David Bakhtiari and um, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, all the success. But anyway, on the podcast is Peter Jones at underscore, at the underscore, IT underscore, Hedgehog. Peter, can you change Can you change the handle to <laughs> the Packer expert or Packer Peter yeah. or something, please? Hedgy. Hedgy boy, hedgy boy. And we have um, Apuli Shrew, um, ex-professional football player and um, full-time legend, uh, Andy Davies, Packers guru as well. Andy, what is happening? How are you doing, Steve? We all look forward to this one, don't we? We love that uh, down and dirty sixth and seventh round in free agent oh, yeah. game, don't we? We love mm. it. Mm. This is where I can watch four minutes of game tape and become an instant expert and then bring that name up to you guys and go, what do you think of this fella? And you go, do you know what, Steve? Great choice. And then I look like an absolute hero. Um, <laughs> I pick Cooper Cup, uh, Kevin King. Oh, let's not talk about that. And then uh, there's some other players. But yeah, um, look, the Aaron Rodgers thing is, has gone down, right? And let me just preface this. And I don't want to go off on a massive diatribe here. And I want to play a little bit of audio because it's just absolutely hilarious, right? But what I would say is, is that... Um, and I won't get into the audio just yet, but it's so weird. Like this, it was a long time coming, as wasn't it, with the Aaron Rodgers thing. We can go all the way back to the Jordan Love trade. We can go to the MVP seasons and the Willy Wonty, you know, sort of pantomime of the off season. And we maybe can cast it back even further to Mike McCarthy and him banging the ball up into the stands and McCarthy gets sacked and... Uh, who was it came out and said that you'd picked the head coach over the quarterback and there was loads of that sort of nonsense going on there as well we can cast it back even further uh, to when he sat behind Brett Favre for so long and people didn't know if he was any good and they drafted quarterbacks in to see maybe he isn't it Um, then Andrew Brand comes out and talks about he was zinging it in practice and they just knew then his first season rolls around and you know people are saying that that solidified his legend other people look at it and go you know it wasn't very convincing there's loads of different timelines here in the Aaron Rodgers saga where it could have been it for him. I mean, the injuries and all of those concerns. Is he injury prone? Will he play again? Will he come back? We saw that thing of money, you know, and there was all of that sort of jazz, right? There's so much to this Aaron Rodgers saga where, like the Packers organization from the very beginning, is that it could have folded at any time. Now, whether you subscribe to it or not, I don't know. But it is very, very weird to see Aaron Rodgers rock up in a Jets hoodie and go into the Jets facility and be announced as the Jets quarterback. Um, Peter, it, did you watch much of the footage or any of that kind of stuff? And does it feel like the end of an era now? And does it make you nervous or scared? Or how are you feeling? Oh, it certainly doesn't make me nervous or scared. It makes me it makes me excited, right? So so I've always been on the, the Jordan Love's going to be 
a good quarterback um, bandwagon, if that if that's the right word. I don't know how good. None of us know how good, but I think he's going to be just fine. I think that um, I think because the saga, even just this year, has gone on for so long. You know, we we've known for. I don't know how long it is now. It feels like months and months and months, but I guess it's just like a couple of months or whatever that, that the trade was going to happen. It was just a matter of time when. So I think that the point of, um, you know, the, the the changing of the guard or or the end of an era, if you like, um, I probably had those feelings months ago rather than, rather than right now when we knew this day was coming. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't feel any... Right now, I don't feel any kind of disappointment or any any sadness as such. You know, I think we've said this before. I we've been fortunate to witness what you know one of the great quarterbacks play for our team for a long time. You know, following another great quarterback, we've been fortunate to witness that. But, you know, but but time times move on, and you know, I'm I'm excited to see the Jordan Love era um, get underway. It's a nice perspective to have. And the thing that you two guys have, and we have a lot in common, let's face it, right? But the thing that you have in common, and maybe Andy, this helps you or how you feel about it, is that this isn't like you've only watched during the Rogers era or Far Rogers, and now it's coming into Jordan Love and you're like, what's going to happen? Does it benefit you? Does it help you deal with it better that you have seen the Packers from, you know, the 70s, 80s? up until now does that help or does that make you more fearful and more nervous because you're looking at it and going what are we getting here are we getting a fire to rogers or are we getting a you know sort of muck 80s and you know lynn dickey had his had his glory time the guy was a damn good quarterback but you could see the struggles everywhere else in the team does it benefit you andy or is it sort of a bit of a headache having the knowledge that you have about the team over that period no, I think we're in a completely different era now. I have no fear. <clears throat> I have a lot of faith in Jordan Love. I think I think like Peter, I think he's going to be an excellent quarterback in the NFL. Um, I'm, I'm more excited about you know, next season than I am sad that the Rodgers tenure has come to an end. Um, I am frustrated. I mean, what is what is it with Rodgers in the draft week? He just takes over, doesn't he? <laughs> it's like two years on the spin. It's the biggest week of the year for me and Peter. And then we've got Rodgers, you know, take, <laughs> taking up all the airways. Um, so that's a bit of a strange one. I think the comparatives between um, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre are, are scary in many ways. I'm sure you've seen sort of timelines of the, the various things that went on, whether it's his last throw, the last game, you know, going to the Jets and all that sort of stuff. The overriding emotion for me um, on that side is one of sadness. I do. I, I, I think it should be handled differently. I think like, like most walks of life, communication is key, isn't it? And um, when communication goes wrong, it, it, it tends to go wrong in a bad way. Mm. Um, so from that side of it, there's a there's a tinge of sadness. But that went a long time ago because we all saw this coming. And it's been quite a, a, you know, I think the last soap that played out this long was who shot JR in Dallas, wasn't it? So I think it's been... Um, it's been well on the way, hasn't it? And uh, yeah, it's done and dusted and uh, new chapters for everybody concerned. It's t- do you know what? It's tiring as well because, do you know what? There's this sort of cognitive dissonance, if I may, um, and I'm not playing sort of random phrase bingo here, but it's that sort of thing of like, look, we know how good he was and, and is, I suppose, and we'd be fooling ourselves to think that because he's gone to the... Ch- it's like anything, you know what? It's that thing of you want a product and you go to buy the product and you want the red one. 
and then you go to the shop and the red one isn't there and then you go well I like the black one better anyway it's that kind of thing of now that he's gone you know let's trash the guy and I you know it's it's very hard to come up with some sort of a critique or opinion without sounding like it's sour grapes but the benefit that we all have lads I think is that we sort of made it known our feelings throughout this whole time um, and certainly me on the podcast I've made it known that with Aaron Rodgers look as a man as a person you know and the body language and all that kind of stuff and I know I joke about it an awful lot but there's an awful lot of stuff I didn't agree with in, including his play I don't think he was this infallible guy but we see it when we put out a post say a, a meme or anything on Instagram if it involves Aaron Rodgers it just gets a hundred times the sort of legs that anything else does because he was that character that sort of divided opinion be it good or bad um when you look at the fan base peter and you see that some people are like strictly speaking they're aaron Rodgers fans they're saying like kurt benkert came out and said on twitter look i'm gonna be we all know you're gonna be kind of rooting for the jets this year you know and that kind of divided people to say absolutely not or people going yeah look i like the guy um aaron Rodgers was a complicated character piece um, and Andy touched on it last week uh, when he was sort of saying, look, when it comes to the big games and stuff like that, you know, we can't let him off the hook because he was to blame um, there as well. So what, you know, and I know it's a, it's a million dollar question, but did the way Aaron Rodgers ended his career with the, and again, whether, whether what people think about COVID and all that political sort of stuff, because it has become political instead of scientific and all that. So we won't get into it really, but... The sort of the statements he made, the misleading stuff, um, the sort of the way he'd come across on Pat McAfee and the things that he said there, the kind of quirkiness in his character. Do you think that that legacy will stay with fans, Pete, or will it be as everybody's saying that we'll just welcome him back to Green Bay, we'll retire his jersey and number, and he'll go up on the facade? Yeah, I, I think I think he'll be I think he'll be warmly welcomed back. I think that um, time heals will heal some of those people who have an upset over some of those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I, I found some of some of some of that stuff mildly annoying, but no, no more than that. And I think for me, it was, you know, just trying to look at the look at the bigger picture and, um, you know, of his playing career as a as a whole. Um, I mean, certainly. I think the thing to remember is that, you know, when you're as high profile as being quarterback of the Green Bay Packers or any quarterback in the NFL these days, that certain stuff gets scrutinized that it wouldn't in other in other people. Um, so, so I think it's I think it's a I think it's a, a difficult one. But 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 for me, it was it's always about, you know, the, the play on the field. What, what do they do when when they're doing the job they're getting paid to do? Um, and everything around that. So it's not just stats and wins. It's also, you know, are they good leaders? Do they lift the people around them? Are they good character guys? All of the, all of that stuff that goes into the play play on the field. But for me, it will always be about play on the field. And and um, yeah, for want of repeating myself, you know, he is one of the best to do to do it. I don't think he, in my humble opinion, do I think he's the very best? No, I don't. And that's not trying to knock him now that he's moved to the Jets or, or anything. I've always, I've, I've always felt that, and I, and I think a lot of that comes down to well, you know, it's a t- it's a team sport. The quarterback is the most important player on on the team, and therefore has the biggest impact on the team's wins and losses. 
Mm. And it's the ability to win those big games, win the playoff games, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, other quarterbacks have been able to do. Yeah. Now, you know, as we would all say, that's not the only thing and absolutely isn't isn't the only thing you know he doesn't play defense he doesn't do this he doesn't he doesn't do that so he can't do it all by himself but you know across across the history of the nfl and we've seen it you know in in this era you know the likes of tom brady who almost certainly you know doesn't have some of the natural talent i would say that aaron Rodgers has got um i think most people would tend to agree with that um but has been able to pull it out when it mattered and you know that's that's a skill in itself. It it really is. I mean, you look at the Super Bowl in which New England were down by 25 points. Now you can say, yeah, they played badly to get down by 25, but that's fine. But they still came back from 25 points down. How many quarterbacks do you think would have been able to lead their team to come back from 25 points down in the Super Bowl? Not many, not many. And yes, it requires other members of the team. Absolutely, I get all of that. But that, but that quarterback position is, is, is so important. But I think we take a step back, Steve. I think we take a step back there, move away a little bit from recency bias, one way, one way or the other. And I think that very quickly people will just look on it as, as a, as a great career. Um, yeah. And and he's like he's like most high-profile people that. If you have a set view one way or the other, you can always find a reason that supports that view, right? Whether you love the guy, hate the guy, you can find a reason to sit in either of those camps and ignore the stuff that you, that doesn't support your argument, if you like. Um, I just think we've been, like I say, I'm repeating myself, but I, I just think we've been very fortunate to witness one of the great careers in NFL history and I think that as fans, we're now lucky that we're moving on with with another guy in place, um, a guy that's going to hopefully excite us, certainly with a lot of potential. Um, and we've not always been in that position in the past. So, yeah, I, for me, it's just on, onwards and upwards. Say thank you and move onwards and upwards. Yeah, because do you know what it reminds me of as well? You know when there's a politician or a, or a political party that's been in power for a while and then people go, oh, let's just vote, you know, let's just go something different. You know, like you see it in American politics sometimes where it goes from Republican, then Democrats, Republican, Democrats, and it just keeps flip-flopping uh, because they have, you know, so much of a Democrat and they're like, no, right, let's go Republican now. You know, they want to change. And sometimes people want change for change's sake. And I think if you have a body of work, and now, since, you know, later on in his career, he became more vocal about things with the McAfee show and all of that. I think it leaves you open as well. You know, Bill Burr talks about it. Sometimes these people, they just live too long and they say too much. And that sometimes might be what's happening with Aaron Rodgers as well, where, you know, he's been around a lot. There's an awful lot of material on him now. And the stuff that's happened in the world and some controversial stuff, and he's had these sort of contrarian take on it. Um, and I think that sort of put people sideways. But Andy, you have a really unique experience because you were um, a professional footballer uh, playing at the highest level. Uh, in fact, you played a friendly game against Man United, for God's sake. I mean, you know, you're dealing with sort of, you know, high level athletes. When you look at Aaron Rodgers and the way he carried on and the media and all that kind of stuff. And I know it was probably, you know, there wasn't the era of Twitter and stuff like that uh, when you were sort of knocking around. But when you look at a character like him, Andy, how do you profile him as a professional? Would this be a guy that you would fall behind? Um, or do you think that his character and the stuff that he said and 
the so and again I don't know if you saw it this way Andy but when he came out and seemingly blamed the rest of the team and he had a bad performance he said yeah well I was graded great you know little things like that do you think that that would impact the teammates that he would be on from your sort of professional standpoint I think from a role model perspective particularly for the younger players it would it would create separation there it wouldn't get people to aspire to be the the player that they need to be. Being a role model as a senior pro is really, really important, isn't it? And I think in terms of his quarterback play, he raises a bar higher than I've ever seen it raised, certainly in my time watching NFL football. Um, and if you, uh, you talked about the sort of 2010 Atlanta game as example. But I also think at times that bar was dropped seven or eight notches. Um, and unfortunately, that level of play was what you saw in the bigger games. This is what Peter alluded to. Um so that that the on the field play uh, production side of it is one element, isn't it? But the locker room stuff, none of us will ever know, will they? But there's certainly enough evidence out there to suggest that he divided opinion. Um, and I think once somebody becomes bigger than the team, you've got a problem. Um, whether that's in the England football team that we talked about pre-production, um, I can only think of a. I thought of one guy. Um, you may have heard of him. Peter probably heard of him. He's a guy called Joe Allen. He was a striker who played for Chelsea. Um, and during my time at Hartlepool, he was he had a great season, top goal scorer, great character in the dressing room, um, always a life and soul. And, and then all of a sudden, because he'd become probably more successful than the team, the pre-season training the year after, he became a little bit obstructive in terms of some of the instruction that the coaching team were giving him. So he was asked to go in the war, for example, um, on, on free kick drills. And his response was, you can politely go away and multiply. <laughs> At which point, my manager said, right, get yourself off the field. Um, go and get me your agent. We're going to shift you on. And I think during the course of the next sort of 30, 35 minutes, Chelsea came in and bought him for 50 grand. Um, he picked up his stuff and off he went. But that was just an example of where he'd become a little bit fractured in terms of the relationship between the team and one individual. And you can't have that. Yeah. Team sport is a team sport for a reason. And those teams that are successful are the ones that are all in it together. And I think you've seen over the last couple of years, you know, England have got to the brink of success at world football level because they are together now rather than having a, a bit of a plateaued effect where you've got some people at the top there, some people in, in the middle, and then the, you've got the new people that have struggled to become integrated into the team environment. And I think that whether he's done it willingly or knowingly, I'm not quite sure. And, he'll, and obviously he'll deny all that kind of stuff, but he has created some separation there and mm. that's not healthy in any dressing room. I'm sorry, it's just not. Yeah, and I mean, as you say, look, we don't know the ins and outs of it, but certainly, no, you know, and f but again, it's people like yourself who would have that insight, you know, because again, you don't know what fire feels like in your hand until you pick it up. Um, and sometimes that's what it's like if you're in a locker room and you're around the professional stuff. But look, for me, um, if we look at sort of what happened at the very end of it, like, again, I've a lot of love for his career. Um, his, his play is absolutely outstanding for me in my lifetime. I've never seen anybody play um, as well. And some of the throws were yeah. ridiculous. And the fact, you know, because yeah. it's it's like um, it's like Cissé when he scored that goal for Newcastle. And I think you probably know what I'm talking about, where, uh, you know, it's a throw in and he hits the ball with the outside of his foot. It curls in from that position and goes into the side netting. I'm convinced he didn't mean to do it. Right. And then Peter Crouch, there's that one where he kicked it and it's like, did he mean to do it or not? Um, I think that was against 
potentially Man City. Um, but it's goals like that that stand out and you're like, right, they're just fluky, freaky goals. They'll always be up for debate. But for Aaron Rodgers to put that thing on a laser beam uh, time and time again, it, he was just uber talented and there's no question about it. But when you look at how it ended, I think we need to remind ourselves as well that he came out and by his own admission said that he was 90% going to retire. Um, and he sort of went on about it again in the Jets presser to say, look, I went into the darkness. Yes, fine, they couldn't reach me. But the thing that sort of arced me at the end, and this is, I put it out on my own personal Twitter, and I said in the immortal words of Dr. Watson, what an effable twaddle this is, because they uh, matched Schneidman, um, and again, I can pronounce that a certain way, but he um, he went down to New York, and I believe he's from New York, actually Buffalo, New York, but uh, he went and asked Aaron Rodgers, you know, Gudekun said that he was trying to reach you and he couldn't reach you, you know, is that true or what exactly happened? Now, let me play this soundbite with you, and I think this is the antithesis of the kind of all of the stuff that went on at the very end between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and the sort of misinformation, if you will, uh, between the whole situation. And I don't know if I need to really get into the specifics. Um, I will say people that know me, uh, I'm fortunate to live in a, in a beautiful house. The only downside is I have very limited cell service. So if you want to get a hold of me, I have to see your face. You got to FaceTime me. So, uh, so the only response to, to the communication thing is there's, you know, records in your phone about who called you, when, FaceTime, and there wasn't any specific FaceTimes from any of those numbers that I was looking at. Um, that's neither here nor there because we're now we're in this position. Like, again, lads, you can say what you want about it, right? And you can, you can plead the fifth. But what I would say is, is I thought when he said FaceTime, I was thinking, oh, he want, as in face to face, that they should have went up and all that. And I said, you know, I understand that. Yeah, sure. Like, walk up to me and, and tell me and, and talk to me. Uh, but then he started talking about phone records and it actually appeared that he was actually talking about FaceTime, which is like Skype, where you can call somebody on an iPhone and they can see your face. Um, and to say that it's, uh, you know, it's real dog ate my homework stuff um, for me. And it's it's real. It's like when Lady Gaga sat down, um, which we, you know, I mean, we're all massive Lady Gaga fans here. But she sat down and did an interview. And as a, I don't know whether it's just the Irishman in me, um, the sort of no BS sort of style. But she sat down and she had prosthetic horns on her forehead. And the interviewer asked her, what's with the what's with the horns? And she says, oh, they just come out when I'm being creative. And the interviewer didn't go, what? And then, you know, and have a real ruckus about it. She went, oh, amazing. And then went on. I was like, really? I would have pulled my eyeballs out of my head. Um, and that's the same with this. It's such a load of nonsense and waffle and it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense. You know, and I think it's very clear what happened in the sense that they couldn't reach him, but they, he probably wasn't going to come back anyway. He said 90% he wasn't going to come back. So he was, it's one of those things that, you know, it's like he didn't want to come back and they said fine. And he goes, well, maybe I do then, you know, and it's like, it's that typical sort of will she, won't we, wishy-washy, you know, you don't want me to do something, so I'll do it anyway. Now, again, I'm not saying this as in it's sour grapes and stuff like that. But when I heard this today, it just really struck me as here we go again. It's just a load of nonsense as if like everybody is he's the cleverest guy in the room. Everybody else is stupid. And I don't know if any of you lads want to weigh in on it. But for me, you know what? Seeing him in, in the Jets hoodie, I was like, oh, my God, this is really, really big moment. We're standing on a precipice here. And then he said that. And I was like, yeah, yeah OK, I, I remember now. I remember all the nonsense that w- went on at the end. Well, that's the nonsense bit I don't get. I've just got one point to make, and it's uh, the relationship between our GM and our previous quarterback was fractured. Fractured beyond repair going back multiple years. It's been papered over the cracks. 
and, and you're right in terms of the, the Green Bay press. I don't think they've ever really sort of peeled away at them cracks and asked the questions that need to be asked. And they've put up a front and said, we've, we're communicating better and we're doing this and we're doing that. That clearly wasn't the case and has never been the case for me. I think it's a complete load of twaddle. Um, and, and that's why, isn't it? They clearly fell out at the point where we drafted Love. Um, and I think that from that point onwards, it's just been, you know, communication by need only all this stuff around the, the pandering around game planning and having discussions about players who we bring in and all that rubbish it, it was his job to play quarterback for the green bay packers everything else should have been um yeah dealt with inside the dressing room inside the offices and kept out the public domain it, it was a complete load of rubbish yeah and today's just his way of getting the last word in isn't it well, it's just bizarre yeah. bizarre bonkers peter have you on to say <laughs> no, no, not, <laughs> not really. I, I get, I guess, I guess to a degree, you know, picking up what I was saying before. I mean, I've kind of moved on already, and um, you know, like I say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm absolutely grateful to have been here to see that fantastic career. You know, wouldn't have swapped, wouldn't have swapped 99 of it for anything. You know, would have liked a few more wins, but hey, you know, I. Fortunate to have seen it, but I'm, I've, you know, my my head has been traded about three months ago, so I'm I'm all, I'm, all, I'm already, um, you know, in the in the next era. So, um, you know, whatever happens in New York now happens. I'm not that bothered. I guess providing providing he plays sixty five percent of snaps <laughs> next year, that <laughs> I am bothered about. Fly <laughs> me out to New York, Peter. I'll wheel him out if I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, give him give him a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, and it's quite a bizarre situation. Um, and somebody put this on Twitter, and I can't remember who who it was. So I'm I'll um acknowledge that that it was this wasn't my thought, but it's quite a bizarre situation where when Brett Favre was traded, that the conditional pick that was part of his trade was about the Jets winning. You know, so so if they got to the playoffs, it became a second rounder. If they got to the Super Bowl, it became a first rounder. So so you could imagine Packers fans rooting for the Jets because they're, you know, the draft pick compensation would be higher. In this instance, providing Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps, we want the Jets to do badly because that, <laughs> because the Packers pick would then be higher. So yeah. it's kind of the first <laughs> yeah. thing. Like I say, somebody, I can't acknowledge who it was because I don't remember who it was who put that on Twitter. So if they're listening, thank you. Well, look, I, I know people signed in for some draft stuff um, and, I don't, yeah. and I'm not, again, I want to be clear. I mean, I'm not dragging Aaron Rodgers. I hold no venom or animosity towards him at all. I think his career speaks for itself. The numbers do too. Uh, but in the words of Mark Murphy, he was a complicated fella and I've certainly had uh, differing opinions and opinions um, on Aaron Rodgers over the years that I haven't been scared to voice um, despite the fact that we started to receive some really unhinged emails from one guy in particular, uh, you know, God forbid we we speak out <laughs> about how we feel. Um, uh, you know, he's not to be named. But anyway, look, we'll we'll get I won't into special... do it again. I won't do it again, Steve. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, Peter's. You know what I mean? The short jokes were just a bit much, really. Um, but no, Peter's the nicest man alive. So look, we're going to talk about special teams, lads. And I guess look, we can't go ahead with the draft coverage and not mention the sort of elephant in the room, which was Aaron Rodgers. And also, it is impactful too because obviously, you know, with trading Aaron Rodgers and that gives us from the 15 back up to the 13 pick an extra second round pick and all that kind of stuff. Now we've done our offense, we've done our defense, and we're just going to gently brush like a person on the tube who just 
brushes by you so slightly you don't know whether it's on purpose or not that's what we're going to do with special teams Andy uh, Pete I know I'm sorry to do it to you but Peter look 307 page draft guide I don't know if I mentioned that um, fantastic stuff special teams is it a pain in the backside to have to go down special teams at all because we will remind people this is a very Packer centric draft guide is there anything of value in there that would lend itself to the Packers drafting or picking someone up as an undrafted free agent on the special team side of things? So, so, so I think from a Packers perspective, you know, um, if we look specifically at the specialists, so kickers, punters, long snappers, um, the, the Packers, are, are, you know, they're, they're set at punter, they're set at long snapper. The kicker, the kicker is, the, is the question. We don't know whether Mason Crosby's coming back. If he's not, you know, the Packers are going to bring some guys in. Um, and, and this draft in particular, you know, th- there's always, typically, not always, but typically there's a kicker that you can easily see being taken in like round four or round five. There's usually one outstanding guy. <laughs> for the Raiders, but yes. <laughs> and, yeah, well, that'd be round one for, 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 for the Raiders. Um, um, but, you know, Cleveland took a guy uh, you know, relatively early last year. Um and there's usually one, but this year there isn't, in my view, there isn't an outstanding special team specialist guy in this draft. And I didn't have any that I thought would fall into the kind of being drafted area. Now, my my caveat on that is there's nearly always two, three, four, or even five of these special team specialists drafted. So there likely will be two or three drafted, even though I don't think they're probably, you know, fit in that first 250 or so players. Um, and that's because there will be teams that was, are specifically looking for a, a kicker or a punter or whatever. And, and you know, they're absolutely be prepared to spend a, you know, a sixth or seventh round pick on, on one of those guys. Mm. I think for the Packers, I think probably the only guy that I think could be on their radar um, is the kicker out of Michigan, Jake Moody. Yeah. Um, and that would be at some point late in the draft, I I would imagine, um, sixth or seventh round. Now, I, I, th- I think um, any higher than that, I think, would be, would be a reach. Um, so he's been a solid kicker in, in college at Michigan, so playing, playing in the cold weather. Um, without being one of those outstanding type guys, you know, that jumps off the board at you. Very, very solid um, on the shorter distance field goals, you know, 90 odd percent success rate, 40 yards and in. Not so great at the longer field goals. Now, it did kick a 59 yarder um, indoors in, the, in one of the college playoff games towards the end of last season but you know generally speaking he's not the guy that's gonna pump 56 yard field goal after 56 yard field goal after 56 yard field goal that's yeah not what he's shown in in college and that's pretty much why you know he's a back end of the draft or undrafted free agent type guy but it wouldn't surprise me just because of the Packers situation at kicker for them to draft him late in the in the draft, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Especially as they've now got I don't know how many picks in this draft. I've lost count, but they've got a lot of picks in this draft, particularly at the back end. 
Yeah, not a bad problem to have. Andy, have you got any sleeper picks? Is there anything sort of, uh, you know, an inspiration that's come down? Or is this, as Pete says, just a bunch of undrafted free agents? Any time they get drafted, you know, would be a reach. Or is there someone that you look at and go, keep your eye on this lad? No, I, I wish there was. I wish there was somebody that, that we could go after because I think it's um, a year that we would potentially take somebody. I think this year's crop have been uh, skipping leg day. Um, so <laughs> Ryland and Moody were the, the only two probably to come out of it with any credit for me. Um, uh, when you're kicking in Green Bay, you need an extra 10 yards on that leg as well. So um, for me, I don't know what the solution is a kicker. It's certainly, I don't think, um, going to be out of this year's draft crop. If it is, it'll be... Um, a camp leg and they'll they'll fight it out at camp won't they but um, Ryland and Moody the two obvious ones that Peter alluded to um, we're set a punter we're set a kick returner now aren't we as well yep. we're certainly set a long snapper so kicker really is the only sort of open competition whether or not Crosby comes back whether or not we dip into the free agency market or whether or not we bring one or two of these guys in but I yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't be wasting a draft pick on them I don't think um, yeah I mean the there is there is a bright side to this, right? The 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 Packers' offense is going to be so good in 2023 that they'll never punt <laughs> and they won't kick any field goals. It will just be touchdowns and two point conversions. So is we don't a, need to be concerned too much. Is that sarcasm, fond? Pete? <laughs> uh, do you know what though? It's wishful thinking. I'm hoping. Do you know what? For two um, lads who've who've you know seen it all, done it all with the Packers, I'm I'm actually I'm delightfully surprised let's say is that you're so behind um, Jordan Love because I think it's the author uh, Robert Green comes out and he talks about you know when, when you talk about someone that sort of stands out it's they either pick one or the other and they they stick to you know to this sort of and it's usually against the grain so if everyone's saying Jordan Love is terrible and someone comes out and says Jordan Love is great uh, well then you sort of you know it that blows up then and you, you look at stuff like that and, and I'm sort of like to see you guys so positive about Jordan Love I think will give the fan base that massive reassurance that you know here's two guys who you know, look at this stuff so in depth for the draft and look at young talent and Jordan Love being young and, you know, all of that stuff around it. And you look at it and you are so positive about it. But to bring it back to the kickers, and again, like by all means, you can, if anyone just wants on, to Just on Love, though, Steve, I think what, yeah. I, I, this is really simplified, Tim, this is sort of breaking it right the way down. What I like and I like a lot about him, but he throws to the open guy. Yeah. And that sounds really obvious, doesn't it? But he throws to the open guy and too many times we've eulogized over throws that have been squeezing the coverage into triple coverage and how good's that throw well when you look back on the tape you're like well tight end had 10 yards of wide open space you could have just pinged it into him for an easy completion and what i've seen from love and it is obviously only a snapshot isn't it that he he finds the open man and that's going to be critical going forward Uh, and and that's absolutely spot on and and you know it it doesn't take a long time you know from the thought to go from from his head to his arm to the ball being released, it's out of there. Yeah. You know, one, two, three, it's out, it's out of there if the guy's open. Yeah. And um, yeah, and he's got a lot of ath- other skills on top of that, a lot of athletic skills on top of that. And, and too many people, I think, and this is just, you know, just a personal view, too many people, I think, have looked at his senior season, well, it's actually his junior season, but his last season in college. And... The numbers were okay, but they weren't as good as his previous years and, and, and kind of just looked at that year and said, well, there you go. You know, he, he threw this number of interceptions and he did this and he did that. And what they forget is 
is a that he was playing with a diff- completely different coaching staff and a different system in that last year in college, and he was playing with nine new starters on offense Oof. that year. Yeah, yeah, right. Go back and look at the year before that, and look at the year before that, and you know th- the same thing happened. I mean, we talked about Dan Marino previously. Same thing happened with Dan Marino's senior year in college. It didn't look as good as his previous years, but that didn't do him any harm. <laughs> and I, I, I think, you know, even like, you know, and more recently, look at Justin Jefferson in his last year in college. He played almost entirely from the slot. And people were talking about, well, you know, do you spend this on a slot receiver? Go back and look at the year before. <gasps> I didn't do uh, that. And no, I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, go back and look at the year before. And I think that if a guy's got the talent, he's got he's got the talent. You know, nobody knows how good he's going to be, but the skills are there. And I, I, I don't understand anybody saying, sitting here right now and saying, well, he isn't going to be this and he isn't going to. We don't know. All we all we do know is the is the bits that we've seen. And the fact that he has some good ability. That's all we know right now. So, you know, uh, and and what people also have to realize, you know, whether they agree with the pick right in, in, in 2020 or not, lots of people in the Packer organization, Gooty and his guys, checked him out before they picked him. Right. And at some point you have to trust that process. You have to say, those guys that do this for a living, um, particularly when it's a quarterback, will have spent more time watching his film and every throw he's ever made in college and in high school than any of us ever have. And there's a point where you just just have to say, just trust the process. It, yeah. it may not turn out, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I certainly have a confidence that that he will. And it's it's lovely to hear. But on top of that as well, it was it was interesting when they asked Gudekunst in his presser, which was 10 minutes after the news broke about Aaron Rodgers and they said to him about it. And he said, look, you know what it's like to deal with Joe Douglas. And he said, look, I'm a scout at heart. That's my trade. It was the same with Douglas. He was the same. And just as you say, to have a sort of scout like Ted Thompson, um, who was in that uh, GM role, it, it, you know, there's a lot to be said for it. Um, and as well as that, I think you can benefit too, can't you, from knowing too much and knowing too little when it comes to quarterback play. You see quarterbacks coming out sometimes, Pete, you know, and they don't they don't know particularly how to read a defense, but they know they need to hit the open guy and they do it. So they do as they're yeah. told almost. And there's a benefit in that. Now, the naivety falls, the scales fall from their eyes eventually when they get hit enough times. Um, and then that really makes a man. But you can benefit from knowing too much and too little as well. And in the interim, as long as you develop well enough, it can actually benefit you, you know. Absolutely. And it just goes back to Andy's original point. Yeah, he does find the open receiver. Yes, it's in you know limited amount of time. But, you know, we've only seen X number of X number of plays, but that balls out of there damn quickly when there's when there's an open receiver. If you remember the the Philadelphia game in the season just gone, when he hit Christian Watson on a on a on a crossing pattern across the field, about eight yards, you know, over the middle, about eight yards. And Watson took it for 70 yards and a touchdown. Yeah. But the ball was out as soon as Watson was open, that ball was out of there. And, you know, and people can say, well, that's all on Christian Watson. I don't care. Yeah, it's a seventy-yard touchdown, guys. It, uh, you know, um, so yeah, I, I. 
Do you know what, Peter? It forces him to trust his receivers, doesn't it? Because Rodgers probably knows too much. And he's like, he's a new guy. I don't have the chemistry with him. I don't believe he's going to make the move. I don't think he's going to have a step on that guy. I don't think he's going to be ready for the ball. You know, and he go, he processes all of this information and this bias. Whereas with Jordan Love, uh, there's probably a lot to be said for working in the system that he knows he's to make his three-step or five-step or seven-step drop. He's got to get the ball out in this position and trust the fact that his receiver is going to be there. That's not always yep. going to work out for him. He's going to get intercepted. And it's, he's going to be judged harshly for it. But it will be a beautiful thing like that touchdown you mentioned if it all comes off. Absolutely. You know, I'm, you know we've seen lots of quarterbacks c- come, come and go. And... You know, I, I just think I think right now there's no reason not to be optimistic. You know, let's see where we are in a year's time. Yeah, by all means. But I think, by the way, I think this is at least a two year project from here. Right. I don't, I don't think he's getting the hook after one year, um, you know, unless he turns out to be absolutely terrible, which I'm sure he won't be. Mm. You know, this is a two year. This is a two year project for, for, for me. I think it's a different question after two years. But. I absolutely think he's the Packers starter in 2024. So let's, yeah. you know, it, you know, this is all about build, building and building and building. And Rome wasn't built in a day. And hardly any of these quarterbacks that, that that come out, whether they're the overall number one pick or the 20th pick or a fifth round pick, whatever they're, hardly any of them have an outstanding, absolutely brilliant, no mistakes first season, do they? Yeah, not unless you're the, you know, lad who's drafted Mr. Irrelevant in San Francisco and then you just have an outstanding <laughs> year. Uh, but look, that, that kind of brings up an important point about Mason Crosby because I'm of the opinion and I think you lads both disagree with me, right? Um, so I'm putting my head above the parapet here. But I think that when you have... So we saw Nathaniel Hackett leave. We saw Devontae Adams uh, move on and other moving parts. Kurt Bencourt, for God's sake, wasn't there, right? I mean, the whole offense fell apart. Um, so when you look at all these moving parts, right, you sort of look at it and go, right, we cannot sustain that level of movement. And the one a quarter back is the biggest one of all so for me when I look at Mason Crosby and we're talking about special teams and kickers and stuff you know there was an awful lot to be said about you know people didn't know whether he was ill and whether he was injured or what happened last season at the tail end of last season when they were bringing other kickers to the active roster and the assumption was is that he doesn't have the leg anymore or he's injured or something and but then he went on to kick his longest field goal in his whole career in Lambeau Field and I want to clarify, it's his longest field goal in Lambeau Field, not his longest field goal. Um, so that sort of astounded people. Now, was that a once-off? Was it not a once-off? Is it an indication that he still has some juice left in it? We all know kickers are those grey-haired guys who come in on the walk and stick. They get carted out onto the field. They make their kick and they come back off. You know, we see Vinatieri and all that kind of jazz, right? So it's my humble opinion that I think that it makes an awful lot of sense for the Packers to bring back Mason Crosby because it is absolutely notorious of a place to kick in those weather conditions, because we all saw with, um, you know, Jacob Shum and all the other guys that we've carted in and out of punter that they've started off really well. But when the weather starts to get bad and they're kicking a solid rock hard ball, the airtime isn't there, the distance isn't there. And then soon enough, the punter himself isn't there. So when you look at the wind conditions and especially when you're kicking to the different end zones and how you're meant to judge the kick, because we've heard Crosby talk about it, that he kicked it slightly more to the left because that's where the wind comes from. It's an absolute art form to kick A outside, B in cold conditions and C in Lambeau Field particularly. So it's of my opinion, even though it's not very likely with age and condition and money and all that kind of stuff, is I would personally probably love to see Mason Crosby come back because I don't want us to have an unsettled situation um, on special teams because we've seen it last didn't we where they move around the punter they move around the long snapper all of a sudden the whole operation falls apart so I'm thinking that if you get in a new kicker 
will that happen? Will that put more pressure on the offense? Because we've seen when, I'm going to stop talking eventually, that when Mason Crosby had the yips, is that they sort of said, well, you know what, we're at fourth down, we're just going to have to go for a third and like ridiculously long, let's just keep the lads out in the field, there's nothing we can do here, we're not kicking the field goal. And it can really make a team one-dimensional when it gets to crunch time. So I don't know how you feel about it, Andy, but I think it makes an awful lot of sense to bring Mason Crosby back. Now, whether they do it or not, I don't know. I'm not precious, to be honest. I think if they bring him back, if he's a, if he's the right option, then bring him back. Absolutely fine. Um, <clears throat> I think the offense will score that much that much points that the, the kickers won't be needed, so um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be fine. Oh, yeah, so, someone out there listening is going to have so many receipts. They're going to be going, oh, look what these lads said. And look, I'm just going to say it, which is lads. I think Jordan Love's going to be a fantastic prospect and we're going to go straight to the Super Bowl and face off um, against Aaron Rodgers, no doubt. But Peter, you are unconvinced. We talked about it in pre-production. You think that absolutely not. They're not going to bring Mason back, right? Because you have this theory around Gouda Kunst and um, well, his yeah. tenure there, right? Yeah, so I th- I think that they're going to have to make a change at some point, whether it's this year or next year. And I, and I and I just think that Gutti's key year is 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 next year because that's the last year of you know Mark Murphy being the being the president and and, and what have you. So I think from Gutti's future career perspective, I think he really needs to have a winning team in twenty in twenty twenty four. And that's why I think that if they make a change at kicker, I think it's this year, so that he in essence gets two bites of the cherry so he either finds a guy this year that does an excellent job or he can move on again next year but I could be I could be completely wrong because everything you say about Mason Crosby and yeah you know he kicked that his career longer at, at, Lam- at Lambeau Field last year you're absolutely you're absolutely right and um, so I could absolutely see a situation where um, there's a camp competition maybe you know maybe they draft Jake Moody that we talked about, you know, sixth, seventh round, something, but they still bring bring Crosby back and they let those two fight it out. And and it may just be that the roles in camp are slightly reversed, mm. you know, whereas every year up till now it's been the other guy has to beat Mason Crosby out. Yeah. This year it could be, and I you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, it could be that Mason Crosby has to beat the other guy out. Mm. No, I think that makes um, a lot of sense because when you think about it, Pete, as well, I mean, how much are they? How much is anybody else going to pay Mason Crosby? And what is the free agency pool like for kickers? And does he want to end his career in Green Bay? And you look at the family aspect of it all. But it yeah. is interesting. I, I do. You know what? It makes perfect sense what you say about Goody. You know, because if if a kicker is going to come in and he might struggle. Because that's the thing. I mean, how many times have we looked at the Vikings or we've looked at particularly the Bears and they had a tryout of guys who couldn't even kick uh, 30 yards, you know, and they were banging the double doink off the posts. And, you know, they've had a terrible time of it, really. And especially when it comes to crunch time. Yeah. And, you know, we've again, you know, this is another spot where over recent years or quite a lot of years now, the Packers, we've been lucky, haven't we? Yeah. You know, we've had Crosby. And before that, um, I want to say we had a year of Dave Rayner. But before that, we had Ryan Longwell, and before that, we had Chris Jackie. So, so, so that you know, the Packers have had the best part of thirty years of really solid, good play at the kicker position. You know, solid guys that you know did did, did an excellent job. But we also had years before Chris Jackie was there. You know, I remember one year going through four or five kickers in one season. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we've been kind of lucky and you know Mason Crosby has been one of those guys that um we've almost unfair 
but I, I was going to say we've, we've almost taken for granted, haven't we? Because you because you know that he's going to kick, you know, eight and a half field goals out of ten, you know, and he, he's pretty much throughout his career stepped up to the plate when we've needed him to kick that fifty-yard game-winning field goal. Yeah. So th- those guys get get a little bit taken for granted, particularly when. Um, you know, they're not the pro bowl kicker because there's a guy that's playing indoors that's kicked 35 of 36 field goals in, you know, Indianapolis or Atlanta or somewhere playing playing indoors. Um, and you're absolutely right in what you describe about how difficult a place it is to kick and punt at, at Lambeau Field because of the weather. Um, yeah, I mean, it's another guy, if he doesn't come back, that we've been fortunate to to witness, you know, one of the one of the best career kicking careers in, in Packers history. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost say pro history, but maybe I'm going too far because I've had him on the podcast a couple of times, so I'm completely biased. <laughs> but it, it's right what you say about kickers, though, isn't it? I mean, you take them for granted until they start missing. Um, yeah, well, but, I, I mean, I, I mean, Andy and I are old enough to remember Jan Stenerud kicking for the Packers, and he was like 76 years old at that point. <laughs> so Mason's got a few. Mason's got a few years to go yet. Do you know what? As well, as well though, I think he's. Um, He's a great human being as well, isn't he? He comes across really well, doesn't he? So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, he's had his fair share of hardships as well. I mean, yes. you know, with his wife yeah. and his yeah. sister and stuff like that. And he was still kicking for the Packers at this time. So, you know, talk about mental toughness and focus as well. It's just been incredible yeah. from the guy. Yeah. Um, but again, if, if anybody wants a fright, I mean, go and look at Chris Jackie's social media. Yikes. Um, so look, we're going to unleash Andy Davis, I think, on a couple of uh, sleeper picks here because we will round out the podcast now because, again, it's been an absolutely cracking episode, lads. Um, Andy, we're talking about, we're hoovering up sleeper picks, uh, final thoughts, all that kind of jazz on this thing. Can you spit out a couple of names and a couple of reasons why that some of these lads are on your radar this year? Are we going to go for the position groups? Do you want to go all the way down? Andy, carte blanche, do what you want to do, Andy. I'm sure Pete will have his own... Um nuggets to chip in with as well so um should we start with um we start with tight end yeah i think that's where we're going to start there isn't it? i think that's a position in need for the packers and um i think it's all about the cunts isn't it so i think we've had the we've had coons Excuse we've me. had coons we've had and we're going to have <laughs> yeah come on steven it's going to be an editing job hold on sorry i can edit myself <laughs> out just uh crease myself here but yeah go on to keep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a guy from Old Dominion, isn't he? I think he's going to be, uh, it's going to be on our radar. And I think we were sort of joking about, you know, scoring opportunities for the Packers next season. But I think red zone threats are going to be key. Um, yeah. And I think we might go in a slightly different direction with tight ends, certainly from a physical point of view. And at six foot seven and two hundred and fifty-five pounds, I think um, our guy from Old Dominion could be the guy. Um, I think the the shoemaker we talked about from Michigan, I think he's NFL ready. I think he's slightly different, but I think he's another guy to be looking out for. And the other interesting one down at the bottom there was the guy from Cincinnati, where we've previously gone and harvested tight ends for in Deguera. And I think that, that Josh Wild could be somebody that we, we might look at on day three. Yeah. Pete, any tight ends tickle your fancy? Do you agree with Andy there on all of those guys? Yeah, I think, I think Andy's picked, picked the names out on top of the ones that we've previously talked about. But yeah. Absolutely. The old Dominion guy is really interesting because you know, he started his career, um, I don't have it in front of me, I want to say Penn State before he went to old, say, old, yeah. old Dominion. And um, he's just huge. He's huge, but, but but looks like an athlete. You know, he, look, he, he, he is, you know, and 
And yes, it's a slightly lower level of FBS football, but but he looked like a, a giant amongst boys, you know. What is it with Old Dominion then, Andy? Because I see that name prop up a little bit. Old Dominion, what's, what, what is Old Dominion? I don't know. Before this year, he probably didn't even hear of them. Mm. Um, certainly Peter might have done, but, but yeah, this year I think it's just a, a coincidental, um, I don't know. This is a bit much to ask people. Old Dominion, I've, again, this is new to me. Maybe it's in the draft every single year, but what's going on at Old Dominion? Is this a, is this a sort of a, a college? That they're, are they spitting them out here and uh, I'm just unaware of it? Or is this kind of relatively new with talent? Well, I think it's one of those things that, that, that you get good coaching and you start to um, be able to, um, what can I say, recruit better, better players. And then, you know, better players start to begat better players. So, so you, you, you kind of, you know, you've been, you're able to, to get, um, like the title we just talked about, we'll be able to get a guy who transfers in there. So as the team gets better, it, it all gets on a roll, if you like. And yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's, it is, it is quite, quite unusual. And for anybody listening that doesn't know where Old Dominion is, Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. There you go. Uh, holiday destination to behold. Um, <laughs> But Andy, so tight ends, you've hit on tight ends. Um, what other positions are you looking at? I'm guessing it's it's wide receiver. Uh, running backs, you're probably leaving running backs, but you're always good for a few sneaky running backs in the later rounds. Yeah, I think we have to go running back later on, I think. Um, if we don't get our Bijan guy, which is probably highly unlikely, mm. then I think we'll be looking later on, won't we? There was three or four candidates. We talked about the guy from Pittsburgh last week, Abakanada. Um, I think he has some elite traits think he could potentially do some kick returning if we needed it he just need more patience but he's a he's an athletic guy and uh, somebody i think we want to keep an eye on um and then there was three different types of, of uh, running back really evan hull the guy from northwestern i think he's a great receiver at the backfield he's explosive and he's a wrestler which oh. i always like and i know the packers always like don't they in terms of multi-sport athletes so mm. one to look out for mike daniels he uh, was a little short wrestler yeah, as well yeah yeah I like it. It just it shows you different skill set, doesn't it? And I think it's uh, it translates well to the to the field of NFL. Um, guy called Deneric Prince from Tulsa. Um, again, probably looking at the seventh round. Probably a free agent. Um, definitely a size power kind of guy. He's definitely unfinished. He's not a he's not the complete player yet. But certainly, a, in terms of a project, he'll be worth a look. I think. And then the guy that a lot of people have talked up already. So he's not really sleeping. But uh, Hunter Lupka from North Dakota. So he's a more of a fullback power type, but he's from Wisconsin, I believe, Peter. Yeah. Um, great sort of ball, uh, sort of you know, great guy by all accounts. Um, ball security, very good, very versatile. And certainly um, it would be a bit of a, the Wisconsin angle would be a bit of a Cinderella story, wouldn't it? So yeah, one to look for. Same, same names. Um, Evan Hallow, Andy mentioned, was actually the, the next guy who would have made my, you know, watch list in the draft preview so he was the one that fell off the bottom of the drop list it was no. so well, off off the watch list it was the very next guy um all of those names that andy mentioned the guy i love in the middle to late rounds i talked about before the packers won't pick him is is deuce vaughn because he's five foot five but i just absolutely love him as a player 
Yeah, I, do you know what? I have a bit of a soft spot for short guys. Don't know why. But, um, you know, when you look at the trend on <laughs> holidays and stuff like that, when you see what these guys are able to do on the return unit as well, because they're so small and they're able to yep. sort of, you know, they don't have to create a hole. It's just there. It's just called the opening in someone's legs. Uh, so they just run straight through. It's um, it's incredible. Andy, what have you got for us next? So moving on to wide receiver, we talked about a couple of the guys um, in the offensive pod didn't we? I um, have from Princeton and Michael Wilson from Stanford. I think they're both huge possibilities for the Packers um, either later day two or day three. And then three sort of guys that are less talked about really. Um, Jaden Hazelwood from Arkansas. Um, he's your sort of 6'2", 220 Lazard type, more of a dirty work receiver. Um, Antoine Green from North Carolina. I just put in my notes, he's fast. He's very fast. Um, 6'2", 200 pounds, so a good size prospect. But um, I think he would be an interesting sort of uh, wide receiver four. And then Grant Dubose from Charlotte. Um, again, work in progress, but I had some athletic traits that I really, really liked. So three guys that will be more towards the bottom. Um, but a lot depend on what we do early on in the draft, I believe, I think. I think they've got their eyes on quite a few receivers and um, just be interested to see whether we nab them or not. Mm. Pete, I know it's hard to get your mind out of Jackson Smith and Jig here, especially since yeah. we moved up to 13. But outside of him, uh, who are you looking at? Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like the names that Andy's mentioned and the guys we talked about before, Cedric Tillman and those kind of guys in the second or third round. I, I think just more of a generalisation, I think the Packers will roll the dice on a wide receiver in round six or seven. Right? I, just, I just think they will, even if they've picked a couple earlier. I think they'll roll the dice on another guy in round in, in round seven, like they did with Samari Tori this past year. So, yeah, it could be any of those names that Andy's mentioned, but I just think that I just think they will. They'll 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 go for a six foot two, six foot three guy in in round seven who's about you know two hundred on our board or something like that. Oh, it's a it's a goody special. I may remind people your exact phrase for Romeo Dobbs last year was that he's going to be sneaky good, and you, you hit the nail <laughs> on the head there as well. So, uh, Pete, I tell you what, let's kick off with you then. Um, so, do you want to pick another position group, or or even just sort of carte blanche any players that are sticking out to you that are sleeper picks that people haven't been mentioning in the media? Because what I do remember always, Andy, was is you had these sleeper picks. You told us who they were, and then as it got closer to draft day, they started to bubble up into the media, and you were like, "Oh my god!" Like you know. You you had these keyed in well before, but anyway, but anyway, uh, Peter, what what are we looking at? Yeah, so so I like mentioned this name before, but I like Nick Saldaveri on the offensive line, another guy out of Old Dominion, and we mentioned him before. Um, but he's that guy that can he's almost your Zach Tom like, right? So played tackle, can play guard, worked out at centre at the senior bowl. So so I like him in kind of the in kind of the the, the middle rounds. Um, and I pretty much mentioned, I think, most of the later round guys at most of the positions the other the, the, the other day. I mean, you know, I like Savosio Dennis, the linebacker out of Pittsburgh, because he can play special teams. Right, he's a guy that's always around the around the football. He's a little bit small, but you know, is an excellent special teams guy. And and I, and I do think that the Packers will, towards the end of the draft, I think they pay pay more concentration on getting special teams coverage guys. I think we touched on this before, but like your your fourth inside linebacker or your sixth wide receiver or your fourth tight end will be as much special teams guys as um, you know as posi- as positional guys. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned Marty Mapp, who safety out of Sacramento State. You know, in in the last pod, you know, he's a kind of sixth or seventh round guy, but I I I really like him. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I, I guess I'll, I'll jump up to the quarterback position because we talked about um, the guy, the guy out of um, Houston before. Uh, Andy mentioned the guy at Shepherd before. On the 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 other name um, that may be in play for the Packers, and, and, and we're pretty certain that they're gonna pick a quarterback. I think you know towards towards the end of towards the end of the draft. Um, I think the other guy that just could be in play for the Packers is Jake Hayner out of Fresno State. So somewhere around, you know, pick f- around five, that kind of kind of area. So not so much, I guess, that you would call a sleeper, but he's kind of a name that hasn't cropped up very much yeah. um, with regard to the Packers. And, and part of that is because he's a little bit small. You know, he's he, he's under six two. He's not he's not your kind of prototypical. In fact, he's closer to six feet. So he's not your prototypical. Um, pro quarterback if you like um but um you know is he how can how can i put this he's very productive right he's very productive going back to andy's point about jordan love hayner finds the open open guy and hits him doesn't doesn't mess around he's very accurate very consistent fresno state over recent years has thrown up a number of decent quarterbacks um, so it's just a name that just doesn't seem to be getting a lot of traction, if you like, as a, as a possibility for the Packers. But I, th- I think there's an outside chance that, that, that Jake Hayner could be a Packers pick. Oh, guess who has two thumbs and is going to look at Jake Hayner highlights all night now? Me. You know, I'm going to be looking at them. Um, Andy, do you want to go through a couple of position groups or a couple of guys then that stand out to you? Because you're always good for a couple of sleeper picks. And have any of these, Andy, been in the media that you've seen and been like, God damn it, I wish we recorded this podcast a couple of days earlier? It, yeah, one of the guys, yeah, it's safety. So if you look at the safety group, we talked about the guy from um, Kansas City a few years ago was Lajarius Sneed. He was the one that we picked out that was about a seventh rounder at one point. And then by the night of the draft, I think he'd been elevated to the fourth round and was being talked about in various circles. So mm. um, it's Jatavius Martin from Illinois. Right. So um, sort of just under six four hundred ninety four pounds, I think, that he could play, again, hybrid role. He could do corner or safety. So he was he would be one that's probably um, going up boards quite fast at the minute. Um, we talked about Daniel Scott. I really like him. I think he could be a special teams demon. I think he's a real athlete um, and he'd be really good value on day three. And then the other one is um, Javarius Owens from Houston. I think I mentioned him on the defensive pod, but he's just a good football player. Um, and being, being from Houston, I'm sure Keita's got a line on him as well. Um, but I think he does, he's flexible, got good hips. Yeah, I like I like to know what I saw of him. Mm. Uh, cornerback room. One we didn't mention, I've talked about Darrell Luter from South Alabama. I like him. But I also like Terrell Smith from Minnesota. Um, makes a lot of plays in man coverage, which is typically what the Packers run, isn't it? So I liked him a lot. Yeah, I really liked him a lot. We talked about the guy that linebacker. Um, D-line, I've got nothing for you other than we'll take Zach Pickens or Gavon Dexter. Um, we both like Carl Brooks, and I think he could be further down the line. Edge, if we don't get edge early, then I liked Isaiah Maguire. Um, I put down Beast. I really like him. <laughs> he's got the tip. He's got the typical, prototypical size that Packers look for in their sort of edge rushers, six four, two seventy. So I think he could be really one name to look out for. Yeah. Um, and then just going back to the O line, there's a couple of guys that I don't think he's a sleeper, but I don't think he gets talked about nearly nowhere near enough. Is uh, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse? Uh, 6'4", 320, good size. 
Um, I think he's uh, he could play multiple positions as well. I think I think he's a good fit for the Packers. Um, yeah, and a name to look out for. And then the guy from Eastern Michigan. We talked about Ricky Stromberg. I really like him from Arkansas, but. In terms of his RAS score and his athletic sort of makeup, if you like, uh, CD Sow, Peter. I don't really yep. know much what your thoughts are on him. I thought he could be a bit of a wild card down the bottom there. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I like, I, I like, I like all of the, I like all of those names. I mean, CD Sow certainly um, towards the back end of the draft as a, as a interior offensive lineman, as a, as a guard, is a, is a really, is a really nice player. And yeah, I mean, I think that. Again, you know, you look at that position. There's no doubt in my mind that the Packers will go offensive line at, towards the end of the draft. They may well go right in the in the first round, but they will certainly, again, with all these picks in round seven, um, there's no doubt in my mind that they throw. You know, you just roll the dice on yeah. on those on those types of on those types of guy, and and you know, in the hope that you find the next John Runyon or you know, that late round draft pick that turns into be a really solid starter. So there's no doubt in my mind that they'll do that they'll do that. And and probably at edge as well. Even if they take a guy early at edge, I think they'll come back and take another one in round six or seven. Mm. Um so 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 I've so I've probably given them about twenty seventh round picks there, but um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Unless they're trading away first, you know what he's like. Yeah, that day three is a bit of a blur though, isn't it? The, the seventh picks and then you get straight into free agency, don't you, in terms of free agents and it all becomes a bit sort of it's, it, it happens very quickly, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot more fun when there were twelve rounds in the draft, you know. I'm, I'm, ba- <laughs> oh, I, I'm back in the I I I looked at this a few months ago, and I can't, I can't for the life of me remember. But at some point back in the fifties or forties, it was like forty-two rounds or some ridiculous number was the. Now there yeah. were, obviously there weren't as Less many teams, teams there, yeah. but but it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? For mm. those of us that love the draft, if, if it was forty rounds long. We'd start on Friday. We'd still be going the following week. Yeah, look, your wives would never see us at all. Lads. I think divorce proceedings would be in the worst time. They're praying. It's probably because of the wives out there that it only lasts as long as it does and they just blaze through the last couple of rounds. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the first day is all where all the fanfare is, all the lads with the cool looking socks and suits and all this type of jazz. And then it sort of goes and accelerates. And as you say, it's really fascinating. I think what where the value for a guy like me who doesn't get into college football and all that kind of stuff is, is with the draft guide is, is that there's so many undrafted free agents and shakes and moves after the draft as well and they've released like you know all of these lists that you're looking at them I don't know any of these players but to be able to see where they fall on your position board and we've seen a couple of times haven't we lads where you know the Packers pick someone up in the seventh round that you know was was down to go in the fourth round but started to drop even on the day and stuff like that Peter and sometimes it baffles you as well you're looking at it going like you know what's your favourite day then Steve what's your favourite day day one yeah, do you know what? It's the fanfare of day one really gets to me and, and looking at it. But to be honest, that's from, and again, i sort of speaking from an, obviously a non-draft expert, but what I find it fascinating is, is that I look at the guys on day one and I see their profiles and I'm like, oh my God, this guy could, you know, cure illnesses. He could, you know, th- this guy sounds absolutely out of this world. And then I looked at the draft profile of the guy that we got in the seventh round to be like, oh, I wonder what the standard is here. And it sounds the same. So I'm looking at these guys and going, oh my God, this seventh round pick is after breaking his college records. He's after, you know, doing this, that and the other. So I just don't know how you guys discern it. But for draft nicks like yous then, are yous the opposite side where the first round is the glitz, the fanfare, and it's really in the later rounds? Is that how it works for oh. you? Uh, for me, I mean, I love the I love the first round because, um, to a degree, 
you know, it determines what happens in the re- in the rest of the draft. And mm. you know, especially you know, when you're picking as high as the Packers are this year at 13, um, you know, it's really exciting for me because you know, we're pretty sure, for, for example, this year that Bryce Young's going to go number one, right? Um, that seems to be the way that this is this is going now. But then, what happens after that could could well determine whether or not the Packers who the Packers pick at 13, because, mm. you know, Houston picking at two, love Bryce Young. Yeah. Right. But they're not going to probably not going to get him. And, and then does Houston then go away from a quarterback at pick two? Do they trade down? What does Arizona do at three? It, that, that I, it gets really interesting to me. And then you can always bet on one team picking a guy completely off the wall in the first round, usually the Raiders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you know there's there's just usually a guy that goes in the top ten that you're scrambling around. You know it was twenty fifth on the board. Yeah. And then there'll be a guy like you just described, Steve. There'll be a guy that falls that mm. nobody knows why. Yeah. Um. And even to this day, you know, like like last year, um, Kingsley Enigbari fell, and we were, you know, mm. I thought it would be a day two guy, no question about it. And the Packers got him in like round five, I think, in the end. Yeah, it and it's like to this day, to this day, I don't know why he why he dropped. Um, yeah. But yeah, round one, I round one's most exciting from from that perspective to see how that board starts 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 shaking out. Um, yeah, so I, I I like I like round one and round two. Round three is just difficult because. You know, as Andy said, the picks come thick and fast. Every five minutes, you know, there's 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 a pick. It's difficult to keep up with all of with all of those picks as they as they go flying through. Yeah, look, Andy, we know that Pete deserves to go into hibernation of some sort. I mean, any guy who writes a novel, um, like he does every <laughs> single year, I mean, deserves some sort of Caribbean holiday or Absolutely. something like that to de-stress. But from your point of view, Andy, I mean, we all know you're the Packers guru. You love the draft, you're so knowledgeable. But when it comes to the draft, then is there a massive anticlimax for you, or does it still get fun seeing the sort of undrafted free agent stuff roll in? I think it's evolved over the years, certainly, because if we've been typically picking quite late on day one, mm. day one's lost a bit of its glitz for me, because this is a case of, look at what you could have won times 27 <laughs> before you even get to the point where we can make a pick. So from that side of it, you know, and it's like, like you say, you're sat up there till five in the morning waiting for the Packers to pick and they decide to trade out for day two. It's like takes the gloss off it somewhat, doesn't it? Yeah. So day day two was always my favourite where you get to see round two and and sort of round three, but Gooty's kind of spoiled that as well because I've been so <laughs> frustrated with his, um, with his round three picks in particular, but then his propensity to tear away his round two picks to get to, to, to move upwards. So I'd, quite, I'd be quite happy for him to sort of stand pat. Um, he used the, the, the round two picks wisely and his round three pick wisely and... Um, Add some quality to the roster. I, you know, typically day three falls on a Saturday, which for in my life is quite difficult. So it's in and around football and sport and the kids yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, trying to keep up with it is rather difficult. Um, so it's a nice time on Saturday evening just to sort of digest it all and um, then start looking at free agency and who we can add to the to the camp via free agency. So yeah, you know, all very different, aren't they? All very different. I think. Yeah. Day one's more about the glam and the glitch, isn't it? And the 15-minute window for me is just slightly too long. It, um, 
Yeah, you can only hear so much of Mel Kuyper, can't you? And um, yeah, <laughs> who the hell it does is after, Mel Kuyper? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> after a while, whoever's on, whatever Colonel Alistair on you're listening to, or your channel of choice, it does become a bit a bit much unless you're um, fueled up on alcohol. So, yeah. yeah. Not a bad idea. Look, it's we're an hour and ten minutes into it, so we're going to have to stop talking sometime, which is very difficult for us because uh, if they think this podcast is long, they should hear the pre and post production. Um, you know, it's just all of us just sitting shooting the breeze. But anyway, look, it's at uh, the IT Hedgehog and it's at Pooley Shrew. Again, um, you know, not to be too sycophantic here. Again, like I always say, I will pull my pants up eventually. But uh, absolutely fantastic coverage. Again, Peter, the draft guide is a work of art. I think that's been said again, and it's fantastic. But the draft coverage is not over yet. Follow these two guys. And of course, keep it tuned to at UK Packers as well uh, for all things on the draft. And the fun part will be, guys, to drag your asses back on the podcast and for you to make sense of what the Packers have done, be that a good thing or a bad thing. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> Look, I guess we, we'll end it there and we'll come back and again, keep in tune with the lads on draft night. I've been at Steady the NFL. There's no point in even looking and see what I'm going to do in the draft. Uh, so it's not going to be a whole lot. But um, until after the draft, we'll be talking to the boys. It's a go, Pack go. Go, Pack go.